Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week, our podcast features an episode of The Bob Hope Show called Going to Europe to Make a Movie. It just sounds phony. <laughs> Say, did you read in the papers that the Hollywood stars are now putting their money into cattle ranches? Well, it's true. Gregory Peck, Jack Benny, Rosal Russell, Gene Keller, they all bought cattle ranches, and Jack Benny has already proved he's a natural-born farmer. He has his cows given milkshakes. the cows are a little dizzy when they crawl out of the washing machine. <laughs> but I wish Jack wouldn't mix his farming with his laundry business. Yesterday, my shorts came back not only clean, but homogenized. <laughs> of course, Bing started the whole thing with his ranch in Nevada. Actually, his ranch isn't in Nevada. Nevada's on his ranch. <laughs> He's giving Reno 24 hours to get out. <laughs> Bing likes owning Nevada, though. Together with Texas, it makes such a nice set. <laughs> He's giving Reno 24 hours to get out. <laughs> Bing likes owning Nevada, though. Together with Texas, it makes such a nice set. <laughs> and you'll find Bing on his ranch every summer, just sitting around branding his money. Of course, Bing has other investments. The Pittsburgh Pirates, Gary. He has a lot of stuff. <laughs> By the way, if any of you are wondering why I've left out the Crosby Foundation, that isn't really an investment. The way he's built, it's an absolute necessity. One day he forgot to wear one and the price of blubber dropped 12 cents a pound. <laughs> but you probably know that many movie personalities have outside investments. Phil Harris is starting a chain of supermarkets in Beverly Hills. Robert Cummings is going to manufacture men's gabardine jackets. Georgie Jester used to manufacture men's pants until the bottom fell out. And I have a... <laughs> and I have a piece of the Cleveland Indians, but the Indians had some tough breaks last year. In fact, if we hadn't sold some pottery in those blankets, we'd have lost money, believe me. <laughs> Promise to love and obey. 
forget me. kiss again with a love that's new but I shall wish again I was kissing you cause I'll always love you wherever you go and though we are to produce his own picture in Europe. And, of course, with a project this big, Bob needs help. Now we find him entering the office of the top executive producer at Paramount Studios. Oh, hello, Mr. Freeman. Well, Bob Hope, come right in. So nice to see you. Sit down here. Have a cigar. Well, oh, can I get you a drink? Relax. Put your feet up on my desk. Make yourself at home. Boy, did that road to Valley make money. <laughs> yes, and your new picture is a very big hit, too. Look at these box office reports. Chicago, $42,000 in three days. Cincinnati, $38,000. New York, $54,000. <laughs> oh, you're the fair-haired boy around here, Robert. I'm the only one with there. Say, Mr. <laughs> Thank you very much for all those kind words. Now, tell me, is there anything we can do for you? Well, as a matter of fact, there is, Mr. Freeman. I'm going to make a picture in Europe, and I'd like to borrow some money from you. I want you to lend me a million and a half dollars. A million and a half, eh? Hmm? Well, I see you're still smiling. Oh, sure. A million and a half sounds like big money to some people, but not too much. Now, I don't have the authority to lend you that kind of money, Bob, but since you've driven over here, I'll tell you what I can do. What's that? I'll be glad to validate your parking ticket. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Say, what's the matter, Mr. Freeman? Don't you like the idea of me making an independent picture? Well, Bob, you've made a lot of pictures lately. Why go off to Europe to make another one? Or to take it easy. 
You deserve a rest. But I don't want to take it easy. Well, then think of your fans. Well, what about them? They deserve a rest, too. (laughs) I don't understand, Bob. What is it that drives you? What's the spark, the force that keeps you working, working, working? The Bureau of Internal Revenue. (laughs) You see, Mr. Freeman, I've got to make a picture in Europe. You don't have anything scheduled for me here. Well, not right now, Bob. Uh, We're converting the studio to the three-dimension technique. Oh, I can't wait to see myself. Yes. Bob, that nose of yours will have a whole dimension to itself. Thank you. (laughs) Give up this idea. uh, Making a picture in Europe can be very expensive. No, not the way I'm doing this picture. This is going to be a musical picture, and instead of taking the chorus girls from here, I'm going to stop in Paris and pick out 10 or 12 beautiful French girls. Well, there you are, Bob. That'll take you a week or two. It'll take me a month. A month? Why? I'm a slow picker. <laughs> well, Bob, I'm sorry we can't finance your picture, but uh, good luck anyway. Oh, thanks, Mr. Freeman. See you later. Uh, goodbye, Bob. Where have you been, Bob? Hiya, Bill. Yeah, we've been waiting for you. Oh, I stopped in at Paramount, Maggie. There's not much doing over there, but guess where I'm going to make my next picture? Where? In Europe. Why don't you make your picture here? To tell you the truth, Maggie, sometimes I feel that Paramount has never caught the real me. What's to catch? I'm fairly intelligent, rather witty. I have a fine sense of drama. I'm clever, talented, personable, and you're genuine all-around good egg. Bob, how long have you been going steady with you? (laughs) Maybe I did exaggerate a little, but you know, I must have something in the ball or I wouldn't have won that Oscar. Oh, no, not again. Put your shoes on, Maggie. This is where we came in. (laughs) Anyway, I'm very enthusiastic about doing a picture in Europe. I'm going right ahead with it. Well, have you cast it yet, Bob? Who's going to play opposite you? Well, that's the big question, Bill. I've made pictures with Jane Russell, Virginia Mayo, Dorothy Lamour, Marilyn Maxwell. Who can I get this time? Who would look right playing opposite me in a big love scene? Gabby Hayes? <laughs> you know, his beard tickles. No, I don't think so. Oh, I did meet somebody who would make a wonderful leading lady for this picture. She's very talented. Who's that, Bob? Ann Baxter. Oh, she's a wonderful actress. Have you talked to Ann Baxter about it yet? No, but I think I'd better before someone else signs her for a picture. Bill, hand me that phone. If she's home, I can go right over there and see her. Gee, Ann, you certainly have a lovely home. Thanks, Bob. I'm glad you like it. I've never seen so many beautiful painting and so many books. This is certainly a fine edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, I'm proud of my paintings. I have a Watteau, a Renoir, a Monet, a Corot, and a Picasso. You're uh, familiar with Picasso, of course. Oh, I don't know very much about him, except that Picasso is looked upon as the founder of Cubism in 1907, later returned a more realistic formula, which he continued until 1930, at which time he resumed painting in the neoclassical style. Why, Bob! But you thought I was reading it. I really am surprised. I suppose you're also very familiar with Watteau. Not so fast. Give me time to turn the page. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll show you some of these paintings, Bob, if you're Say, interested. Say, this next painting is a real dilly, Anne. Yes, well, that, that's a good example of contemporary surrealism with a strong futuristic theme. Oh, man, what a picture. A banjo wearing a red toupee. 
wrapped in a purple electric blanket standing on top of the Empire State Building. Do you like it? Yes, I didn't know Jerry Lewis had time to paint. You know, Bob, I was quite surprised to get your phone call. Are you really making a movie in Europe? That's right, Ann. I was hoping I could interest you in doing it with me. I thought you made all your pictures for Paramount, Bob. Don't they have you tied up? Only during the love scenes. <laughs> what do you say, Ann? Do you think you could go abroad for a couple of months? Well, I'd have to know more about it before I make up my mind, Bob. Who's going to produce the picture? I am. And write it? Me. How about the director? I'll direct the picture, and of course I'll star in it. Oh, I can hardly wait till opening night. Why? I want to see you selling the popcorn in the lobby. <laughs> What's the picture about, Bob? Oh, you'll love it. In the first big musical scene, 20 beautiful French chorus girls dance across the stage doing the can-can. In the next musical number, there's going to be 30 beautiful chorus girls. Well, what's the story, Bob? Oh, I won't know till I talk to the girls. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Wonderful in a straight dramatic story. You do, huh? Yes, it's, it's about time you made a picture with realistic human values. Why not do a story of, of love, hate, greed, jealousy, passion, cruelty, lust, and murder? Sounds like fun. <laughs> but stories like that aren't easy to find. Of course they are. Good stories are everywhere. Take, take the artists who painted these pictures here on these walls. They all had interesting dramatic lives. Say, maybe you got something. Moulin Rouge was a big hit. Why couldn't I make a successful picture about an artist? Oh, it'd be exciting, Bob. Sure, it would have authenticity, power, drama. Wonderful. Real action, color, excitement. Great. And, of course, it would have me as the star. Well, no picture is perfect. <laughs> Assistance of the Band of Renown, Les Brown, doing Till I Waltz again with you. Come in, Maggie. Till I Waltz again with you. Let no other hold your charm. If my dream should all come true, you'll be waiting for my arm. Till I kiss you once again Keep my love locked in your heart Darling, I'll return again We will never have to part Though it may break your heart and mine The minute when it's time to go Remember, dear How did you make out with Ann Baxter? Is she going to do the picture with you in Europe? Yeah, the deal is almost all set, and it's going to be a very different picture. I'm going to do the life of a famous artist. Oh, sounds good, Bob. 
Yeah, I can just see myself as an artist. Even someone as great as Vincent Van Gogh. Painting, studying, turning out great masterpieces. Paris, the end of the 19th century. One of the struggling young painters of this era was Vincent Van Hope, who as a child had started out with finger painting. Yes, I was so enthusiastic about finger painting, I couldn't stop. I went on and painted my toes and arms and legs. <laughs> the young artist Vincent Van Hope led a drab, uneventful existence until one day a beautiful woman came to his studio. How do you do? Oh, she was lovely. She had Titian hair, a Rubens head, a Rembrandt body, and the whole thing was hydromatic. <laughs> She looked at me and said... Vincent Van Hope? That's right. You... you are a painter? That's what it says on the front of my beret. <laughs> what is your pleasure, mademoiselle? Well, uh, I'm an American. I've just bought a large home here in Paris, and I'd like to buy some painting. Indeed. How does this happen you came to me? Well, I, I heard that most of the painters in Paris are eccentric fools and idiots, and someone gave me your name and address. Merci. Uh, what type of painting do you do? Oh, I am a modern. I use only the colors strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. <laughs> of uh, commissioning someone to paint me. Uh, do you uh, also do portrait work? We. Oui. <laughs> I would love to paint someone as beautiful as you. I have painted the Duchess of Shropshire, the Earl of Exbrook, Lord and Lady Carruthers, the Duke of Northumberland, and Mel Tremay. What else do you have to show me? Oh, I have many other paintings, but what do you think of those you've seen so far? Shall I be frank? Of course. I think your work establishes a new high of tawdry, flamboyant, garish mediocrity. Gee, and I thought I wasted all those years going to art school. Uh, this landscape here, did you paint it? Oh, yes. What do you think? Well, I must admit you've done quite well. Uh, your, your colors here, this is a, a, a very brilliant green grass. Thank you, merci. Uh, <laughs> To get the grass so green, did you use a brush and oil? No, just Vigoro and a spray gun. <laughs> Quite a joke, get it? It made the grass grow. It made the corn grow, too. <laughs> well, Mademoiselle, is there something here you would like for your home? I haven't decided yet. Uh, do you have anything more to show me? Well, if you're looking for a bargain, I have a painting here that's damaged. A leak in the roof made the watercolors run. I painted Marie Antoinette standing beside her favorite hunting pony, and then we had a big storm. What happened? It came out Lady Godiva riding a cocker spaniel. <laughs> I think I have seen enough. Au revoir, monsieur. 
Vincent, I must talk to you. Go away, Andre. You must listen to me, Vincent. I am your best friend. You must pay the again. It is three months now. I can't help it. I'm in love with the American girl. Whenever I look, I see her face. Oh, Vincent. In the fireplace, she looks at me from the flames. In the shadows, she is there. Today at lunch, I had some Swiss cheese, and her face was in every hole. <laughs> my friend, you must not go to pieces. You've got to paint that picture right away. Why should I? I haven't taken a picture of yours to the dealers in so long, they've forgotten what your work is like. It's a great time to sell them one. <laughs> it's no use, Andre. I am too unlucky to sell a painting. All my luck is bad. Oh, don't think that way. Look at Gainsborough. He became instantly famous with one picture, the blue boy. That's what I mean, Andre. I painted that same boy, but I painted him the day before he turned blue. <laughs> oh, if only I were a rich, successful artist, I could go to the beautiful American girl and ask her to marry me. You can be famous, my friend. How? You could be a great success like Rubens, Boucher, Goya, if you painted women. That's what the public wants. Romance. Well, what's wrong with the things I'm painting now? Your subjects are too dull. Look at this painting here. Pickled herring peeking through an onion ring. <laughs> what's romantic about that? It is to another pickled herring. But why discuss it? Go away, Andre. Leave me alone. Oh, Vincent, are you so in love with this American girl? Oh, if I could only see her, talk to her. Why don't you go to her house? I tried that. The butler won't let me in the front door. And at the back door, there's a cook and six maids. Won't they let you in? Yeah, but after I'm inside, I can never remember what I went there for. <laughs> oh, Vincent, my poor friend, there is one thing you can do. Work hard. Become famous. Make her sorry that she has broken your heart. <laughs> I took Andre's advice. I painted day and night, night and day, day and night until my hands trembled and my eyes were two burning coals. Every time I blinked, I started a brush fire in my eyebrows. <laughs> but I succeeded beyond my fondest dreams. I bought the most magnificent home in Paris. It was on the left bank of the Seine and the right bank of the Seine. That saved me putting in a bathtub. <laughs> During all these years, I never saw the American girl. Then one day, I went to Maxime's for lunch. Bonjour, Monsieur Van Hope. Bonjour, Francois. My usual table, please. Oui, Monsieur. Follow me. Very well. Just a moment, Francois. I see someone I know at this table. Ah, uh, so we meet again, Mademoiselle, the beautiful American. Why, it's Vincent Van Hope. Oui, but I am no longer the struggling artist. Now I am one of the most famous men in the world, but I still feel the same way about you. Will you marry me? Me? Marry you? Fool, pest, idiot, moron, imbecile. You don't have to answer now. Think it over. <laughs> oh, it's useless to talk this way. I'm engaged to another man and I... Oh, this is he coming across the room toward us now. Wait. Vincent, what are you doing here? So I've been double-crossed by my best friend. Oh, Vincent, please. She is so beautiful, I could not help myself. It is too late to apologize. This means a duel. Oh, no, no, not a duel. It is a matter of honor. We meet at sunrise with swords. Vincent, I warn you, I am an expert swordsman. And we'll use pistols. 
We meet at sunrise in the Bois du Boulogne. I don't know where it is, but I'll find it. Gentlemen, you are met here to settle a question of honor. You know the rule. I'm getting pretty sick of this line. <laughs> we. You will stand back to back, then take ten paces, turn, and fire. Are you ready, Monsieur André? We. Vive la France! And you, Monsieur Hope, are you ready? We. Vive la Blue Cross plan. (laughs) All right, gentlemen, turn and fire! Monsieur Van Hoop, I congratulate you. You have won the duel. Oh, you were magnificent. He shot so many bullets at you. Aren't you hurt? Not even a scratch. But how can that be? Is there something in your pocket that stopped the bullet? Sure there is. What is it? You don't think I'd leave my Oscar at home, do you? is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Bob Hope started and refined his comedy act on vaudeville. He was born Leslie Towns Hope in England in 1903. His family moved to the United States in 1907, and he changed his name to Bob, in part to avoid schoolyard teasing. He had a few odd jobs, including as a boxer, before he decided on vaudeville. He teamed up with a performer named George Byrne, and they did okay, but he decided to make the big jump and go solo. He became a successful performer in and around Chicago, even starting his own company and hiring Edgar Bergen. But Hope wanted something more. He wanted success in New York, and that meant going into radio, despite his initial resistance to performing in this new media. His early forays into radio did not last too long. In 1935, he was in Intimate Review, The Atlantic Family, and in 1936, he was in The Rippling Rhythm Review. But in 1938, he teamed up with NBC Radio and Pepsodent, By 1940, the Pepsodent show was in fourth place behind Edgar Bergen, Jack Benny, and the Fibber McGee and Molly show. Hope's show held high ratings until 1950. The Pepsodent show was a normal comedy show. It featured Bob Hope giving his stand-up routine, some singing, some sketches with a cast of regulars, including Skinny Ennis, Barbara Jo Allen, Blanche Stewart, and a few others. Various guest stars would appear, including Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, and Judy Garland. One of his regulars, Jerry Colonna, was a trumpet player with a huge walrus mustache. Hope and Colonna had a great stage relationship. They would travel together, giving their act and feeding off each other, visiting military bases and other such spots around the world. At times, Hope would play the straight man and Colonna would become the funny guy. Bob Hope hired eight writers for the show, and his jokes were always topical, taking cues from his location and audience, and he traveled constantly, and from newspapers. 
Hope's monologues didn't push the censorship censorship envelope too much, at least not in what he said. A lot of his more risque material was in how he said it. Bob Hope traveled to military bases and camps even before America entered World War II, and by the end of the war, many wondered if he had visited every military base, camp, and hospital in the States. Also, he made six trips overseas to Europe, Africa, and the Pacific. And when he traveled, he brought his entire 42-member show with him. It is possible that from the start of the war to the end, he had only one show in the NBC studio. However, around 1950, his ratings started to sag. Television was taking over his market. He found sponsors other than Pepsodent, but his audience continued to decline. He stopped the show in 1954, and repeats were aired until 1958. But don't feel too badly for Bob. He had tons more success after his radio show. He starred in countless films, television specials, voiceovers, and yet more countless USO tours. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.